If you would, this morning, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. The Gospel according to Luke chapter 2. Uh, up front, I, I want to remind you, if you're, you're not familiar with the Gospels, there are four different Gospels. There are four according to Gospels. In other words, according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these four Gospels are telling really the same sort of story, but from different perspectives and with different emphasis. Uh, You'll notice that Luke in particular has a very curious sort of way of writing his Gospel. It's the longest one. Uh, He's very detailed. He was a physician, uh, as we know by trade. He was also a Gentile. The only Gentile writer that we know about in the Bible. There are no others. He's the only one. And he has a lot of unique content that's not found in the other Gospels. In particular, what's called often the infancy narratives, which is the first two chapters of Luke. Typically when somebody reads a Christmas story, they want to go to Luke because he has the longest, most detailed account. And we don't have those accounts anywhere else except for right here, provided by a Gentile, by the way. Now also remember, because some people forget, that Luke also wrote Acts. So he ended up writing a third of the New Testament. And he's a Gentile. Fascinating stuff. And I think it goes right into the Epiphany season where Jesus is presented, uh, or, or the Gentiles are presented to Jesus in the coming of the wise men. They were the first Gentiles to lay eyes on the Savior, the risen Lord. That's why the wise men are important. Uh, and we'll be celebrating that at Epiphany. That's, what, that's part of what Epiphany is about. So, let's dive into the text here this morning. I want to read to you one of these, just a portion of this unique narrative, infancy narrative. Notice here, Luke 2, and we'll start with 8. This is right after Jesus is born. We actually just read that a moment ago in our responsive reading. Notice we'll pick up in 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. You ever notice how when when God shows up or God's angels show up, the, the response oftentimes is fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom He is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. 
But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Let us pray. Jesus, may we be astonished by Your Word. Shocked by Your Word. Shaken into reality by Your Holy Word. In the next few moments we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I must confess that last Sunday I made a shocking statement. Some of you weren't here, so now I hope I've piqued your interest, because it actually wasn't recorded either. Uh, so it's not on a recording, but I made a very shocking statement that got a lot of, uh, fee- I got a lot of feedback on it after I uh, ended up saying it. A lot of people chimed in, uh, never spoken it publicly before, but what it was was this. I'll say it again, even, even with the recorder going, and that is I had never seen all the Star Wars. Uh, apparently that was more shocking than anything else I said in my sermon uh, last Sunday. People uh, only responded to that particular line of thought rather than anything else that was said. I think once I said that, everybody else just simply tuned me out uh, as if I was backwoods. So what I did in the subsequent week was actually watched almost all of them. Uh, I uh, had to had to borrow them from someone, and I actually watched through almost all of them. And so there will be a sermon series coming soon on that, but nonetheless... Um, <laughs> Anything you give that much time to has got to be an illustration there somewhere, right? Um, but, but here's what I want to say to you today is something more shocking than that statement. And that is, God became a baby. That's more shocking than I hadn't seen Star Wars. Or more shocking than what was in the news yesterday, or today, or any time. It's the most shocking news the world has ever heard. And yet, a lot of the world, even today, lies in the shadow of unbelief of that. That God became a baby. You know, there's uh, something to these movies. They make a lot of money. Not just the Star Wars movies, I mean big epic movies, movies that can't be told just in a three-hour setting. And I think the reason we're drawn into them is because they are familiar to us. We, we actually have heard them before. We actually are participating in one of them now. They actually point to, in their own fantastical way, something about reality. Something greater than ourself. Something to live for. It speaks of good and evil. It speaks of choices. It speaks of a chosen one. And these things are familiar to us because, quite frankly, that is the story that we find in the Bible. There is a chosen one. There is one who has descended, not just from the gods, but from God Himself. The Father begets the Son, and that eternally. 
There never was a time when that happened. It's in eternal begottenness. And yet, at a particular time, on a particular night, He was born. Who would have ever thought that? And then to throw it in, all the more shocking, born of a virgin. We just spoke those words to each other in our creed. Conceived, not by mankind, but by the Spirit. Born, not of sexual generation, but of Mary, who is a virgin. What a story. Can you make this kind of stuff up? You see, it smells of reality. It's familiar to us. And when we watch these shows and movies and books that become popular, they have themes that are grounded in reality. You should look for them. So just wasting your time for two hours? You should look for those themes. What are are they saying about those themes? What does the Scripture say about it? Because trust me, there's plenty wrong with some of them. Jessica and I went to go see a movie and one of the previews was about Egyptian gods. And I, you know, I'm, I'm interested in that because I teach on the Egyptian gods. And it's all fantastical and everybody's killing each other, everybody's sleeping with each other. But when you come to the Bible, it's a completely different story. It's a completely different story. There's a story of faithfulness of forgiveness, of peace, of people, of people taking their swords and making them into plows. That's the kind of good news that's in the Bible. Not just a power struggle, not just politics, but instead a kingdom that will last forever, a kingdom of peace. This is what is proclaimed here. And it's shocking, isn't it? I mean, just, you know, here's the thing. Jesus in Revelation 2 and 15 says, Behold, I am making all things new. You know, The Passion of the Christ, uh, one of my favorite movies, he looks at Mary, and of course, you know, we don't know if this was said or not, but it's a powerful scene. He looks at Mary all beat up and bloodied, carrying his cross, and, and she is, again, you know, just in agony over her son. I mean, this is their child. And he says, Mother, I'm making all things new. How can you say that in the midst of suffering? How can we say God has made all things new when we look at the news? When we look at our own life? When we look at our own attitudes and sin and failure and others' failure, how can we say He's making all things new? Do we really believe that? How has that happened? What has changed since that baby was born into the world? Has anything changed? It wasn't in the front headlines of the newspaper the next day in Galilee or in Jerusalem or in the Roman Empire. Not many people knew. And even today, not many people know. There are still millions who do not know. And that's why every year we strive. There are people in India, trust me, who do not know the name of Jesus. 
There are people in America who know nothing of the true Jesus. They know a false Jesus that they see on television or they hear at places that are teaching and preaching falsity. They don't know the true Jesus, that baby that changed everything. The world still is under the lie of the evil one. And it is the church's job to raise up and actually shed light all around us. Amen. We must rise up. It's our great commission. You see, God has changed everything by becoming a baby. And, and what kind of plan was that anyway? I mean, you know, we like, you know, at least, you know, your, your typical action dude movie is going to have a lot of explosions. You know, a lot of, lot of warfare, you know. Um, and, and when Jesus comes, He's not taking up swords. He's not loading up magazines and got his AR strapped around and he's not ready to roll like that. Actually, many people believe that Judas betrayed Jesus because he saw that he wasn't going to raise up an army for his kingdom. And so he said, I'm done with this. Because the Messiah was supposed to do that, right? But wrong. They had the wrong idea. That's the, that's the human power play. That's what we always go to, right? Disaster strikes, we respond with violence. Now, you know, there's a place for that. But not the kingdom of God. Not the church. That's not the church's response. Church's response is never violence. Never picking up of the sword. It's not. It is instead this, which is always so shocking to me. Jesus looks at His disciples and says, Guys, I'm going to send you out into the world... And I just can imagine a pause, you know. And they're like, all right. Yeah, I got my concealer's permit already, Jesus. I'm ready to, I'm locked and loaded, big guy. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I got my sword. I got a you know, dagger, whatever. And he says, I'm going to send you out into the world as lambs among wolves. Not as hunter, but as hunted. In other words, sometimes the only way that the world can taste and see that the Lord is good is from you. Somebody take a bite out of you. Jesus is, I'm telling you, this is not easy stuff. Jesus was silent when they accused him. Silent. Never said a word. Didn't try to defend himself. Didn't try to fight back. Now again, we can we can debate. When's appropriate to fight back? And there is a time. But I'm talking about as far as in your life, when people treat you wrongly, we don't fight back. We forgive. That's the weapon of choice. Forgiveness. It's the goodness of God that draws us to repentance. Not the power plays of humans. My dad has a nice little saying that he picked up somewhere else, but I don't know where that is, so I can only copyright him. He says, it's better to be righteous than right. That's a tough one, though, isn't it? When you know you're right. I mean, I know you know you're right, right? (laughs) Everybody knows they're right. It's better to be righteous 
than to be right. Don't bring it up. What if we just kept our mouth shut sometimes? Not show people up. Show them how smart we are. It's always surprising to look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels, isn't it? Because He could have destroyed people in arguments. And I'm just thinking, man, I wish I had that power, you know? Somebody asked me a question and they're all hot and heated, you know? Sometimes that happens. And it's like, I just want to, boom, lay it out. We all want to lay it out there and kind of drop the mic sort of thing. Jesus never does that. He never shows up people just to say, now what? Now how do you feel? No, when people were around Jesus, they were encouraged. Even the Pharisees apparently were, because guess who came to Him at night? Nicodemus. There was something. He said, he said, we know you are a teacher of God. We know that. We, meaning even the Pharisees, they understood that. No, Jesus wasn't there to crush people's spirit, but to raise us up. <laughs> He's the most selfless person to ever live. Oftentimes, teenagers will go find themselves. You know, they go out and do all this stuff to go find themselves. I got to find myself. You'll never find yourself in yourself. Amen. Amen. Won't happen. You have to turn to the light. You have to open the eye of faith, and you'll see. That's what belief is. Having eyes to see. Ears to hear. Jesus oftentimes when He's preaching says, let him who has ears to hear, hear. Not everybody does. Not everyone wants to. Some of us are still children. Plugging our ears and we don't want to hear that we have to go to bed. You know, even adults do that, don't they? Have selective hearing. Right? Wife says something, you're like, oh, I didn't. Garbage? What? I think she said something else, right? No. No, she said garbage. It's your time. God has changed everything. That was Paul's prayer a little moment ago. Everything's changed because He can, but not everybody can see it. I hope today you have seen it because that change is for you. Notice verse 11. <laughs> for unto you. Not just the world. Yeah, he said, for unto the world, right? No, no, no. The angel's looking at shepherds and says, for unto you. And I'm looking at you today, and I'm saying, unto you this child was born. It was for you. It was for me that He came. It was for us. Do, do you know His coming into your own life? Has He been born in your own heart? Just as He was born that night, He must be born in your life. This is what we call born again. And we must be born again. 
There is no other way to new life, to eternal life, but to be born again. You see, God has rescued us. (laughs) And this rescue is from sin, from darkness, and into the light. He has redeemed us to new life. You see, many times Christians just stop with the what He's rescued us from, right? We always are talking about, you know, don't sin, don't do... But what about new life in Christ? I, I, I know, looking around this room, that people in this room can testify of what it means to be forgiven of their sins. What it means to, to leave that darkness. But there are others among us who can testify even further to finding their place in God's kingdom. Finding their gifts that God has gifted them with. Knowing their purpose in life. When you get to that point, when it's not just now from this, but now to this, I am more than just what used to be. He's raised us. He has lifted us out of the mire, not just to stand there as a statue of holiness. That's not what holiness is. Oh, look at me. Everybody just glance here as a statue. No, no, no. No, no. We are to be image bearers. Now, we're not the image. You understand? We're not the, we're not the image. He, we are images of Christ in us. That's not for ourselves. But for others, we must be about... And only when you get together with a group, when you finally are revealed that teaching gift, that gift of encouragement where now you actually intentionally go out and say words and pray words over people of encouragement. When you find what God has given you, that's when you will understand their purpose God's purpose for you. His life for you. Not just from, but to something. He saved us towards something. He has. That's why He saved us. Many people wonder, you know, and often ask the question, you know, if God has saved us, why are we still here? Why didn't He just take us up? And I thought long and hard about that. I think the, the simple response is this. It's not about going to heaven. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is where? Here! Now! In us! It's about a relationship with Jesus. What's the difference in here and now? Other than the suffering that we must go through. Jesus says, you will suffer. If we're going to be like Him, we must suffer. But there is a hope within the suffering. That's the good news. Everybody suffers. Let's just go ahead and get that out. It's not a secret. The wealthiest to the best looking to the worst looking and the poorest. We all suffer. It's at different stages and variations. Your suffering may not be anything to me, but mine is real. Yours is real. We all suffer. But the good news of the Gospel is that He can take our suffering and make it into something we can rejoice about on the other side. That's good news. 
Isn't that what our favorite movies show us anyway? Things get dark, things get bad, but then things turn around. You ever watched a movie where it never turned around? I have. Never watched it again. (laughs) What's there to get behind? Who's going to watch a movie like that on purpose? Just to press themselves? No, no. We watch movies, we listen to stories, we feel connected to something that gets real dark, real suffering, real sacrifice, and then things turn around. Somebody wakes up. Somebody comes in for the rescue. That's what we have in this baby, Jesus. We have an infant redeemer, a rescuer. (laughs) He was born on a certain day. He entered as Einstein gave to us, the time-space continuum. He actually broke in to our world. And if you know anything about time-space, it's like fabric. It's like a trampoline is one way to describe it. And when you put like a big bowling ball on a trampoline, the trampoline goes down and everything gravitates to it. That's what's happened. This little baby was like a bowling ball on a trampoline. Everything is centered upon him. Just like our star, you know, our star, the sun, if it were to go away, everything would just be flung. Because it's all rotating and held into position by the sun. I don't think that's an accident. Your life is held together by the isn't that what Paul says? All things consist in Him. All things were created by Him and for Him and through Him and they all hold together in Him. That's one of Paul's favorite uh, prepositions. In Him. In. That's the last thing that's changed. Not just we've been saved from something and to something, but we are called to be in God. What a thought that is. (laughs) In One with God. One with Him. I mean the kind of oneness that you know what He's thinking and He knows what you're thinking. That's deep oneness. That kind of oneness really only happens in marriage or in intimate friendship. You know, Jessica can often look at me and know what I'm thinking. You know, if we're out somewhere... She can, she can kind of tell just by how I'm acting. I don't have to say anything to her and she knows I'm ready to go. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm a pretty animated person, so maybe you know too, but I try to keep that hidden, you know what I mean? I'm trying to like, hey, yeah, this is awesome, you know? Well, let's go, you know. Um, I don't really even have to try to like hit under the table to let her know. She knows. She knows. The Bible calls us To know God like that. To to be in a situation at work and think, I know what He would do. Not what I would do. Not what my TV show would do. Or the world tells us to do. But what Jesus would do. There's so much packed in here to this passage. I just want to focus very briefly and... uh, 10 minutes, less than 10 minutes actually, on on the words that are used in 11. Notice this. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, notice this, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Those are three 
words that are very powerful in Christianity. Two of them are titles. One of them is a personal name. But it also acts as a title. Savior. Actually, Jesus' name means Savior. It's actually Joshua in Hebrew. So if you transliterate it, it's actually Joshua, and it means Savior. That's what Jesus actually means. His name itself says what He does, what He comes to do, which is to save. Christ is Messiah. Messiah, anointed one, anointed with who? The Spirit. Again, we're back to the Spirit. And Lord is Master. You know, and in particular, in Luke's position and context, Lord would have been Caesar. You didn't call anybody else Lord. Many Christians were martyred because they called Jesus Lord. Uh, Lord is Master, and uh, after watching a little bit of Star Wars... They have masters, don't they? Jedi masters, right? I know some of you are very much more versed than I am. And they have these Padawans or these disciples, basically. I mean, it's basically a discipleship program, isn't it? Yeah, it's a discipleship. That's what I saw, at least. What did you see? Um, no, I saw a discipleship program. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, this is, that's plain, simple discipleship. Um, he should be our master. We are saying, yes, Lord, not I'm going to go do this. Remember, that was an old crazy boy's problem, right? Anakin. Yeah, that was his problem. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. Not what his master said. And look where it got him. In the same way, the dark side creeps in quickly. Evil creeps in very quick. Sometimes, even under the guise of good things, we can think we're doing a good thing when in fact it's not God's will at all. This is the lie of the world. The devil is a liar. And he uses lies to trick us. Isn't that what happened in the beginning? He's been at it ever since. But we have the wisdom of the Spirit. That's what the Bible says. We can be wise men and women coming to Jesus because the Spirit is the giver of wisdom. And just like these shepherds, if we want to be wise, we must first fear God. There must be a healthy fear of God that leads us to loving God. I don't fear my dad anymore. I did when I was growing up. I watched every little bitty thing I did. Now I don't have to be so careful because I love Him. Our relationship has developed from just fear, do what I say, to now a loving relationship. So should our relationship with God. But it has to start off with us saying, yes, sir. I mean, sometimes in my praying, I just flat out say yes, sir, to God. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. Let's do it. In conclusion today, what the world needs is to see Christians overflowing with love. Now what I mean is not forced. 
I don't, I don't mean we need to start another program here at the church. and you know, it, let's, Here's the instruct. I mean you really love God and it flows out of your life. You actually love people and you're willing to forgive them and let that flow out of your life. You actually care about God's church and are willing to serve in that church, whether it's behind the scenes or in a position up front. You don't seek after your own. Instead, you seek the mind of God. That kind of overflow is what the world needs to see. They've seen enough church. They've seen enough church people. They need to see someone in love with God. That will change the world. Because it's not your love. It's His love flowing out of you. Spilling out. And when somebody bumps you, when somebody kicks you, then what's going to spill out is love. (laughs) Holy love. They cut Jesus. They beat Jesus. And guess what came out of Him? Love. Sacrificial love. We're not just seeking some end result of heaven or just making it, but instead we're seeking the beginning and the end. The Alpha, the Omega, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.